Welcome to the podcast. Um, thanks for tuning in again this week. Um, a lot going on in the news this week. Very sad news about uh, Queen Elizabeth uh, passing this past week. Definitely the end of an era as the longest reigning monarch in history. Um, and a history of that monarchy goes back, well, gosh, around a thousand years, I believe it is. She was the only one to ever visit Australia, um, which is where the podcast originates. She was well-loved and will certainly be missed. So we want to remember all the people around the world who are grieving in our prayers. We're going to open um, our sermon talk, whatever you want to call it, open the podcast with uh, James chapter 3 today. And I'm going to read verses 1 through 12. Um, and this is what they say. James, a brother of Jesus, he writes, My brothers, not many of you should become teachers, knowing that we shall receive the greater judgment. We all err in many ways, but if any man does not err in word, he is a perfect man and able also to control the whole body. See how we put bits in the mouths of horses that they may obey us, and we control their whole bodies, and observe ships, though they are so great, and are driven by fierce winds, yet they are directed with a very small rudder wherever the captain pleases. Even so, the tongue is a little part of the body and boasts great things. See how great a forest of little fire kindles. The tongue is a fire, world of evil. The tongue is among the parts of the body, defiling the whole body and setting the course of nature on fire, and it is set on fire by hell. All kinds of beasts and birds and serpents and things in the sea are tamed or have been tamed by mankind, but no man can tame the tongue. It is an unruly evil full of deadly poison. With it we bless the Lord and Father, and with it we curse men who are made in the image of God. Out of the same mouth proceed blessing and cursing. Our brothers, these things ought not to be so. Does the spring yield at the same opening sweet and bitter water? Can the fig tree, my brothers, bear olives or a vine figs? So no spring can yield both salt water and fresh water. This passage is a simple example of how a biblical principle applies in varying culture and time context. James speaks specifically to the tongue and how we use it. It's a small muscle that we use to make words. Pretty simple, but a, a word is the medium we use to transfer a thought from our mind to the mind of others. Um, we, we use words to paint a picture of what we're thinking in someone else's minds. It's something we use to express how we feel. We use words to share thoughts. We use words to share ideas and information. And in the time that James... Uh, wrote this passage, all but a very small amount of communication would have been done speaking face-to-face, -face, and news traveled very slowly. Of course, it's obviously that there was no internet, no television, no radio, nothing like that. And today, the way news and information is shared all over the world is almost immediate. Um, we find about, about things happening on the other side of the globe almost instantly. And not only is the transfer of information around the world almost instant, almost everyone has a potential to speak to millions of people from their mobile device at any time. And that hasn't always been the case. 
And for the great majority of history, up until very recently, the idea of anyone, regardless of who they are, being able to reach a large audience of people with anything they might have to say was unheard of. And we're still learning how to manage that and probably will be doing so for a while. Now, another new development of technology is that the things we do and say online are also usually recorded. Sometimes I wonder what my great-grandchildren will think if they go back through my social media accounts and scroll back. Um, I always thought it'd be interesting to be able to do that for you know people in my family, great-grandparents and things like that. But one thing I think we should take away from all of that is that the things we say, the things we type, post, share, email, whatever, have a tremendous potential. And that puts a lot of responsibility on you and myself as individuals. So what James has to say in our passage, the things we talk about today um, are even more relevant now than they've ever been, if that's possible. Um, Because we just have the ability to communicate so much more and more quickly and with more people than we ever have in the past. And in Matthew 12, 36, Jesus talks about being accountable for every idle word that we speak. And we should keep that fresh in our mind as we speak, but also as we type, as we blog, as we post, as we record, as we comment and communicate with the world, because you never know what the potential for something you say, especially in the digital world, the potential that has. I know I've, I've made some comments um, on some different things in the past and they ended up in a news article. It wasn't anything you know negative that affected me in a bad way, but it just brought to light the fact that you never know where that stuff's going to end up or how it's going to affect people. And today we speak more idle words than we ever have. And many of those words are available for many people to see. So it's safe to take what James says about the tongue and apply it to all communication. And it's important that we take all of our communication seriously because however we communicate, words are powerful. Therefore, discipline in our communication is important. And James says that we all err in many ways, but if any man does not err in a word, he is a perfect man and able to control his own body. And it seems that James is saying that if you can discipline your communication, you if you can discipline your tongue, discipline the way you speak, discipline the way you communicate, you have the ability to discipline everything else. But at the same time, James, you know, when you read that, he doesn't seem very optimistic about our ability to do that because it is very difficult to discipline our communication. And he uses a couple of examples to illustrate the the power of communication. You know, a small bit in a horse's mouth directs a large and powerful animal. A small rudder directs uh, a large ship. A small fire ignites an entire forest. And he's saying that, you know, our tongue is very small, but it's very powerful. And that's the power of communication. It has the power to build up It has the power to encourage, it has the power to edify, and it also has the power to destroy and do a lot of harm. And James says that the latter is much more likely 
and calls the tongue an unruly evil full of deadly poison. If you've ever visited um, a comment section on an online news article, which you know a lot of us have, it's easy to understand why he would say that. And it's funny to think about him saying that, even though he's never seen anything like that. So our communication is very powerful. It's complex and it's not unusual for it to be evil and poisonous. And it requires that we discipline ourselves in our communication. And to help us do that, we're just going to take a brief look at three biblical principles. And we're not going to expound on them that much, but just kind of put them out there and hopefully give ourselves something to think about and something to meditate on. Three principles that will help us communicate in a godly way in a world that is full of noise and hopefully not be swallowed up in all that noise. The Bible tells us in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 15, that we should speak the truth in love. And on her birthday in 1947, Queen Elizabeth gave a speech, and she was only 21 years old when she gave that speech. And you can find it online if you'd like to read it. You can Google it, and it's very easy to find. But her speech uh, ends with a quote I've heard a few times over the past few days. And this is what it says. It, I, it says, I declare before you all that my whole life, whether it be long or short, shall be devoted to your service and the service of our great imperial family to which we all belong. And that's the part that's usually quoted, but the speech actually has another paragraph after that. And this is what it ends with. It says, but I shall not have strength to carry out this resolution alone unless you join in it with me. As I now invite you to do, I know that your support will be unfailingly given. God help me to make good my vow and God bless all of you who are willing to share in it. Now, here are a couple of other things she said, just to give you an idea of her mindset and where she was coming from. She also said, throughout my life, the message and teachings of Christ have been my guide, and in them, I find hope. And this, of course, um, this next thing, this is an exact quote, but she also said that she wished Christ would return during her lifetime. And when she was asked why, she said she would so love to lay her crown at his feet. Um and you can just imagine why she would love to do that. I mean, she carried it a tremendous burden her whole life. But at 21 years old, she declared her life would be dedicated to serving people. And from my point of view, as, as best as I can tell, she told the truth when she said that, and she did so in love. And to make a statement like that at 21 and then be accountable to that statement for the rest of her long life, is not a small thing. And I think that, that she is an excellent example of discipline in many areas, but also in communication. In the first, and I would say <clears throat> most important element of disciplined communication is truth. Disciplined communication is truthful. If you're going to grow and mature as a Christian, if you're going to serve God, if you're going to represent Him well, if you're going to be trusted by others, you will discipline yourself to speak truth. You know, and not possibly true, not I think this is probably true, not uh, I'm going to embellish the truth a little bit to impress people. But when I communicate a thought, an idea, when I make a social media post, when I share a social media post, when I forward an email, 
I make sure the words I share with others are true. And we all struggle with that. You know, we've all had times when we probably embellish things to try to impress people and stuff like that. <clears throat> it's very dis- difficult to discipline ourselves to only say what we know to be true. And I'm sure, you know, you see it too, but a lot of things that are communicated as truth are often more opinion or speculation or how I happen to feel right now than they are truth. And to be disciplined in our communication, we have to be aware of that and we have to be careful with that. And one of the big struggles I see happening in the world right now is it seems that if someone thinks I feel a certain way about something, so it must be true. And that's, that's cognitive dissonance uh, when you feel a certain way, but it's not true. And you know, I'm not here to complain about secular society. That's not what I'm about. I'm here to help Christians live and serve as Christians because I want us all to succeed at that. So when I say that, I'm not talking about secular culture. I'm talking about Christian culture. And we should be very aware of that as we communicate with others. You know, strong feelings don't necessarily equate to truth. You know, telling the truth makes you trustworthy. And done properly, done well, it can build people up. It can help people grow. But telling the truth requires more than truth alone. Doing it well requires more than truth alone because truth is powerful and it's possible to hurt people. It's possible to alienate people with truth if you're not careful with it. And then, you know, the Bible says God's word is sharper than a double-edged sword, uh, sharp enough to divide the soul and spirit, the joints and marrows. And it's possible to speak truth, but still not be disciplined in our communication. So there are two more principles along with truth in the discipline of communication for us to talk about today. So communication needs to be truthful, and it also needs to be wise and harmless. Look at what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 10, verse 16. He said, look, I'm sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. Therefore, be wise as serpents and harmless as doves. And you read that, don't miss the word look. And that, what that means is listen up, pay attention to this, take the time to process what I'm telling you, you know, let this sink in. And of course, as Christians, we pay attention to everything Jesus says, but Jesus doesn't always say, let this sink in, pay particular attention to this. And he says to his followers, I'm sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. Now, why does Jesus want us to pay particular attention to that? Well, think about what wolves do to sheep. They devour them. They eat them. They kill them. Wolves are bigger, stronger, faster, have bigger teeth that are perfect for devouring sheep. And that is a very ancient understanding. And Jesus says, I'm sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. And sheep have no chance against wolves unless they listen to and follow the shepherd. If they do not do that, they will be devoured. And the shepherd doesn't want his sheep to be devoured. He cares about his sheep. He wants them to hear his voice and follow him. And, you know, I hear people say things like, I'm a lion, or call people sheep in a negative way like sheeple. And I I hear that stuff all the time. But biblically speaking, being a sheep is not negative if Jesus is your shepherd. That's a good thing. 
biblically speaking, okay, there are, are two options. You are either a sheep that follows Jesus or a goat that does not. That's it. Now, Jesus doesn't want his sheep to be devoured by wolves. My mind and probably uh, the minds of many other Christians when hearing that would most likely initially think of some kind of physical persecution, you know, being, you know, devoured by wolves. But could the danger of being sheep among wolves be applied more broadly than that? Um, I think it can because in modern Western culture, currently Christians are not dealing with persecution. Don't think you are, you're not. So how we might effectively engage with our community in a wise but harmless way uh, without being devoured matters. And a lot of my thinking about this involves online interaction. Of course, it also applies in person, but with the anonymity of the internet being wise and harmless, you know, often goes out the window. And I see people bringing up and discussing topics all the time, things like homosexuality, transgenderism, you know, hot button social issues. And I've seen many Christians wander away from the shepherd and, and wade into a topic like that without truth or love or wisdom and say something harmful and even find joy in being insulting to people who uh, have different beliefs and think differently. And James says there's a real problem with that. Blessing God and cursing people with the same mouth is not something we should be doing. And imagine a sheep walking into the middle of a wolf pack and insulting the wolves. What's going to happen? Uh, the sheep will dev be devoured, and that's usually what happens. And, you know, it may not be physically, but you're written off. And not only are you written off, but they write Christianity and Christians in general off. So when a sheep walks into the middle of wolves and insults them, the sheep gets devoured. And, you know, you just get swallowed up in all the noise. And Jesus says, pay attention to this because I'm sending you out as sheep into a pack of wolves. And if you're going to avoid being devoured and be heard and maybe even change someone's mind at least as much as possible and have the impact that Jesus wants us to have, you're going to have to be both as wise as a snake and harmless as a dove. And you might wonder, why would Jesus use a snake and a dove as an illustration? Well, sheep are not known for their intelligence. They're not known to have a very strong sense of self-preservation. However, a snake, on the other hand, is, is very shrewd in regard to its own safety. Snakes can be very dangerous, but they don't go looking for people to fight. They're actually very uh, aware of their own safety. And some people might see a serpent or a snake as evil, but remember, animals don't sin. They just do what God put them here to do. And, and Jesus is using a serpent as an illustration of how to avoid being devoured. In other words, be wise. Avoid putting yourself in a situation where you will be devoured. And that's why he also says, be harmless as a dove. That's also how you avoid being devoured. It doesn't mean you avoid situations, but you're very careful in them. And a dove is a symbol of peace. Discipline, communication involves being truthful, being wise. It also involves being harmless. As followers of Jesus, that's how we accomplish what we've been called to do, the application of God's truth with wisdom and without harm. That's how we share the message of the gospel 
with a world that is sometimes hostile, hostile towards that message. With disciplined communication as sheep among wolves. And when we look to Jesus as an example of how to be disciplined, you know, our communication, in our communication, he was always truthful. He was always wise. And he was mostly harmless. You know, it was unusual to see Jesus angry, but it did happen. But when he was angry, it was wise anger. It was righteous anger. He was never reactionary. Jesus wasn't a guy who was just triggered and got upset about stuff. Now, a lot of people tried to find fault with Jesus, but never did. Pilate judged Jesus to be innocent three different times before he went to the cross. Jesus was truthful. He was wise. And he was harmless. And Jesus tells us to do the same. Tell the truth, be wise, and be harmless. And in doing so, he's telling us how to be successful in serving him. Uh, In secular culture, um, you know, in in your secular job, the outcome or finished product is the measure of success. You know, how much money you make, um, depending on what kind of business you're in, the numbers you put up for the quarter, things like that. That's what determines success. Now, from a secular point of view and not understanding the gospel, Jesus would be viewed as a failure because he was crucified. Now, as an everyday Christian, our measure of success isn't determined by the outcome, but by the everyday process of living in obedience to Jesus and doing what he says and doing what he wants us to do. And I know that I'm ultimately... In the end, I'm secure in Christ, and I know how this all ends. And that's true for anyone who recognizes their sin and need for a Savior and trust Jesus. We all have victory in Jesus. The outcome is already determined for saved believers. And success for a Christian is found in the everyday process of living in obedience to Jesus, of being truthful, being wise, being harmless, being disciplined in our communication. And James says that, we've been in this series on discipline for a while now, but James says that if we can do that, then we can do all the other stuff too. So I encourage you, uh, as you, you know, go through your week, think about that stuff. You know, how can I be truthful? How can I be wise? How can I be harmless in my communication, whether it be digital or in person, whether I'm sending emails you know, forwarding emails, sharing posts on social media. Am I telling the truth? Am I being wise? Am I being harmless? There's a lot to think about, and I hope that you will. But I hope you enjoy the rest of your day, and I'll look forward to speaking with you again soon.